When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. And it finally dawned on me that they were not saying this because it was true. They were saying it because it was effective. And you have a rip about what the truth was. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. Well, that is Nick Hanover. He's our special guest this week talking about his new book on corporate bullshit. Basically, it's a guide for everyone to understand the lies that we are being fed and how corporate self-interest has helped guide the public agenda for generations on everything from smoking is good for you, wages should stay low, and climate change. Yeah, nothing to worry about there. Pretty big lies, aren't they? But we do believe them sometimes, and corporations are using power and money to push those lies. We'll investigate all of that this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. Me, Steve Keen, Nick Hanauer this week. So Nick is an entrepreneur, a capitalist. Well, is he a capitalist? If he's a capitalist, he's a capitalist who believes capitalism isn't working for everyone. That's why his podcast is called Pitchfork Economics, because like Marx, perhaps, he saw some sort of revolution of the have-nots getting too subservient to the 1% or less, much less, who are the have-a-lots. And Nick's got a new book out. He's written a couple before with Eric Liu, The True Patriot and the Gardens of Democracy. That one, uh, Justin Trudeau has one of the uh, 10 books everyone should read. I'm not sure whether that is a good endorsement or not, but he also, Justin Trudeau also likes anything by Stephen King. So obviously he likes a horror story. So he'll probably like Nick's new book called Corporate Bullshit, exposing the lives, lies and half-truths that protect profit, power and wealth in America. The book exposes the six big lies. In fact, I thought calling this episode Six Lies, No Videotape, but you know, that would be wasted on anyone who wasn't around in the late 1980s. Uh, this new book is co-written with Joan Walsh, a correspondent for The Nation, which is a, a progressive US magazine out every couple of weeks. And uh, Donald Cohen has a hand in writing it as well, founder of the research and policy group called In the Public Interest. So, Nick, first of all, uh, let's set the scene. Uh, you are not just an armchair critic of unfettered capitalism. I mean, you are an entrepreneur. You've established companies. You've sold companies. You've invested in companies. A lot of them are in the, in the tech space. So are you in the uh, the top, let's be clear on this, are you in the top 1% of the have-a-lots? Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm in the top 0.01% or I, I, I'm not sure what the exact calculation is, but well above the 1%. Uh, uh, and um, but as you know, I'm also um, deeply engaged in trying to trying to address that issue and others. Um, and that's the, you know that and and the collision between uh, uh, the problem and trying to salute trying to solve it is where the energy and animus for this, for this book came from. So do you think you should be in the top 0.1%? Do you feel like, well, you know, I've worked hard, I deserve this money, or do you feel like, uh, I know this is not, we, we'll, we'll talk about the book in a second, I'm just, I'm just yeah. curious, because most people, of course, would take the money and run. 
what neoliberalism teaches and sort of neoclassical economics teaches is that, uh, you know, because market, markets are perfectly efficient and um, uh, the difference between people is uh, narrowed down to your your endowments of uh, uh, of talent and hard work that uh, the people who are at the very tippy top deserve to be there and the people at the bottom deserve to be there too. Uh, and of course, that is bullshit uh, um, uh, because markets are non-ergodic systems. They are uh, they are characterized by a lot more uh, than efficiency and endowments. Markets aren't efficient at all, as you well know. Uh, but the, you know the the people who get to the top uh, are um, benefit not just from hard work and talent, which I do believe I have some of. But also luck, path dependence, uh, compounding, power, and preference. And when you add all those things up, it turns out that uh, uh, the people at the top always have benefited from those things and sometimes have not materially benefited from talent and hard work, <laughs> simply were in the right place at the right time, or who had parents were in the right place or the right time. Uh, and uh, that's what defines success in in market economies. Uh, so you know it, it is of course a little of both. I, I am a pretty hardworking person and I, I do have some talent, uh, which I think does account for the fact that I have been successful in business not just once but many, many times. but you, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that I was born where I was born, to, to whom I was born, um, and uh, was situated in, in an incredibly ideal circumstance in many ways, when the lucky stick came along, uh, I wouldn't be where I am. Yeah, because I mean, so, a, lot, a lot of nurses will say, hey, look, you know, we work very hard as well. We're, we're yeah. talented people, but uh, we're, we're earning yeah. very little. And, uh, and I know, you know, quite a few people who uh, are worth millions uh, and actually aren't the serial success that you've shown yourself to be. They've been a success at setting up a company that just happened to be the right company in an area they, they knew yeah. quite a bit about. Uh, and they, you know, they've always said, we're just lucky, you know, right place, yeah. right time. Yeah, but, right place, right time. But look, we're here today, not to talk about that, but just for a bit of background for everybody. Um, the, the new book, all about corporate lies, and we've seen lots of them on smoking, climate change, Worker safety. I flew EasyJet this week. Uh, there's a corp. There's a corp. Easy in the title. That's a lie. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but with corporate lies, uh, I mean, are they blatant because companies are just trying to screw us over, or do you actually think that people in these companies actually believe them? So my brother, for example, uh, isn't entirely convinced on climate change, but he works for BP. So, of course, he thinks like that. Well, let, let, yeah. So let me back up and give you a little sort of context for, for, for where this project came from. So if you are engaged in trying to make the world a better place, uh, you will uh, very quickly find yourself uh, confronting people who prefer that it stay the same. And for me, probably the defining fight uh, uh, over the last 15 years or so uh, that, 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 that 
taught me about these dynamics was the fight over the fifteen uh, fight over the fifteen dollar minimum wage, which is this thing that a group of us cooked up in the United States and in particular Seattle, where I live, uh, to try to to try to improve the lives of working people. And when you start to talk about raising the minimum wage, the first thing you heard was uh, that if you raised wages, it would kill jobs and harm the very people you were intent you were intending to help. And that therefore uh, it was both impractical and immoral to do that. And um, and the thing is, is there is no empirical evidence for that. That's just not true on planet Earth. There is no actual evidence that when you raise the minimum wage, you will have fewer jobs. And uh, and. Um, uh, and there, there are two, you know, uh, th th this idea that, that it, it will be job killing, of course, is rooted in a neoclassical understanding of how the economy works. Right. If you assume that markets are efficient and mar and and the, the uh, economy is this Pareto optimal equilibrium within which uh, all things are perfectly uh, allocated, then anything you do to change that equilibrium dec decreases welfare for everyone and 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 is essentially an equilibrium system of course is one in which if one thing goes up another thing has to go down so if incomes rise then the number of jobs uh will fall in mechanical uh, inverse relation uh but the thing is is that you guys will know it's not an equilibrium system. It's a complex adaptive ecology. It's, an, it's a system of increasing returns, not decreasing returns, which is something I understood intuitively uh, um, along with y'all. Uh, and so I, I knew that it was not true. And here's the really interesting thing is that, you know, this idea that the 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 that jobs would fall if uh, if uh, the the minimum wage would increase was so embedded in the minds of academic economists that it was not until 1994 that anybody even just even checked the map right it was not until 1994 that Andrew Card and Alan Kruger did the first empirical experiment um, empirical study rather. Uh, to figure out what how many jobs were lost when you raised the minimum wage, and they discovered there was a natural experiment going on between New York, New York, and New, Jer New Jersey, and they discovered to their horror that not only didn't the number of jobs in the place where the minimum wage was increased go down, if you looked at the data, it might might have gone up, and that they published that result and were absolutely pilloried by the economic establishment, famously uh, James Buchanan, the Nobel Prize winning shithead, if I may use that term of art. Um, well, you got shit in your book title, so I wouldn't worry too much about the language. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but the Nobel Prize winning economist um, uh, characterized them, and I quote from the Wall Street Journal, as camp following whores for having the temerity to challenge economic science, quote unquote. And um, and that's because uh, uh, that economic science was enforcing a way of allocating resources, privileges, and power in the society that James Buchanan very much approved of. So, uh, of course, every single legitimate 
empirical study of the minimum wage since then has shown uh, that there, there was effectively zero impact in the number of jobs when the minimum wage uh, was raised, with one exception. And it's a recent exception. And that is the latest empirical study of the $15 minimum wage, which in the United States is the most dramatic increase in the, in the minimum wage um, that we've had, that, uh, which is to say that all of the previous studies um, analyze a relatively modest increase, a difference between $8 and $10 an hour, or $10 and $12 or $11 an hour. Uh, um, and, and what those studies all showed was effectively no, no impact. In this study, they were comparing uh, eight or nine dollars an hour to fifteen, or seven or eight dollars to fifteen dollars an hour. So that's quite a dramatic difference. And uh, and this study is, I think, only three months old. Uh, perhaps comes out of the University of California at Berkeley. And what they showed is that the more dramatic the increase, the more dramatic the job increase was. That is to say. They found significant increases in the number of jobs where the minimum wage had been raised the most. So this is the first, this is the first time that, that we have empirical evidence for the obvious proposition that the more money you pay people, the more jobs you'll have. Because, first of all, the more people who want those jobs, but equally, if you pay people more, they have more money. They buy more stuff, which is where jobs come from. Of course, it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a positive feedback loop. Wages are effectively are the food for businesses, so, and the more food they have, the faster they grow. Yeah. So, Steve, I mean, we've spoken about this before, haven't we? So, I mean, I, mean, I want to come to you about that. But just the, actually before that, just the premise that uh, if you hold back wages, if you don't pay people more. Uh, jobs are going to disappear. What what are those companies going to do? If you if you actually say well, we're going to put people are asking for bigger wages, are those companies that make uh, whatever it might be suddenly going to turn around and go, oh, do you know what? We're not going to do this anymore. So you haven't got a job because we're going to close up shop. Oh. Uh, so you know, of course they're going to continue and they're they're going to find a way. And as you say, that way can can be yeah. positive. So Steve, yeah, like, it, 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 this is the classic thing with neoclassical economics. I, I think you have to regard Marsh, the Marshallian supply and demand diagram as the most successful and dangerous meme in the history of humanity because everything economists do regardless whether they work in mathematical general equilibrium theory or there's some hack working for the adam smith institute and i know precisely who i'm thinking of when i say that uh they that's what they have in their minds this supply and demand diagram and they say if you put the price if you put the price up there's going to be less demand and that's that's what they do straight away. Now, what they what they don't do, and which is which is why they're such a travesty, is first of all they don't look behind how they create those curves. And when you do the mathematics of it, none of them hold together. But it particularly applies to the labour market because the way that they derive demand is is talking about people's subjective desires, and the way they derive supply is the objective cost of production. Except you can't apply that to the households because households aren't producing kids. We're not having factory churning out children, okay? You have people who have no more than 24 hours in which they can work. So the maximum they can do for work or leisure is 24 hours, but you can change what they get paid for the hours that they work. Now, when you put that reality that there are only 24 hours in a day uh, through the, the, the logic by which they derive the supply curve for labor, you can get a supply curve that looks like a like a worm on 
on methamphetamines. Okay? It, it does not slope up. Okay, not, No way can you guarantee that result. So they ignore that and they say, okay, upward sloping supply curve for labour. Yeah. Then they talk about the demand curve being marginal product of labour. That's what actually sets the sets the, and that's where the whole you know if you get paid a higher wage you deserve it type stuff comes from as well because they see capitalism as a meritocracy. But the reality, you know, I'll, I'll much come back to that point later. That's getting a bit too detailed for here. But the major point: this is not an issue of microeconomics. This is an issue of macroeconomics. And as you say, if you pay poor people more money, they will spend 100% of it, okay? And therefore, the demand comes back into the economy and you're boosting aggregate demand. And that boost in aggregate demand means you get an increase in employment and economic activity. But it could also be inflationary, though, couldn't it? So if you got, I know part of your argument is... It would... not, not when you're talking depressed workers at the bottom. No, no, <laughs> for sure. No, no, but if, you, yeah. if, if everybody suddenly d- doubled their wages, I mean, the argument would be, well, okay, companies will... The, the argument would be... The companies wanted would have to squeeze their margins to be able to sell at a price that they, they want to sell. Well, that's not a bad it. thing. But, but, but that's it's not, a, not bad a bad thing. But actually, we know that that doesn't really happen. When we've one thing we've seen over the last year is that uh, as prices not of labour has gone up, well, labour has gone up, but the you know the the supply chain has gone up. Look at how companies are doing in their earnings results. They're all saying, "Well, we're doing splendidly because we've just hacked our prices up." So, I mean, my point was, I mean, it's, it's inflationary. Almost certainly, yes. but does that matter? Just so long as you make sure no. that fifteen dollars is index linked, so you're not you're not back that's where right. you started from. But this, that's not the point, right? The the, the point is, let, let it be said that you can buy a ham sandwich in Somalia for twenty five cents. It costs twenty five dollars in in uh, Switzerland because the wages are much high, higher. Which place do you want to live, right? Like like of course, if you pay, uh-huh. if you were in a high wage economy, you will be in a relatively high priced economy. The question isn't, will it be inflationary? The, the question is, what kind of society do you want to live in? Do you want to live in a society where uh, the majority of citizens are hanging on by their fingernails? Do you want to live in a society where everybody can participate? But, th- but we're getting off track because we love to talk about this stuff. I want to come back to the book, which was the, an- the animus, which is that, yeah, which is that the, the thing about it was fighting this fight, you just kept running into this objection again and again and again and again and uh, and i had this uh, i mean this is the most obvious insight but it took me a long time to come to it which is no matter what evidence we showed our opponents they kept on saying the same thing and it finally dawned on me that they were not saying this because it was true they were saying it because it was effective. Yeah. Didn't give a rip about what the truth was. They were saying these words, if you raise the minimum wage, it will kill jobs. That, that, that sounds like a claim on economics. What it really is, is an intimidation tactic, masquerading as economics. Yeah. It's, it's a bullying tactic. Y- you ask for a raise, I threaten to fire you. This is the oldest trick in the capitalists toolkit right it, it just yeah. it's just it just if you can propagate that idea it saves people like me from having pesky one-on-one conversations with workers right you never you never ever uh ask for a raise if you're convinced that if you do so you will get fired and and once yeah. you understand that that claim isn't said because it's true. It's said because it's the most effective way corporate actors have ever found 
to keep wages low and profits high. Well, now you realize, you, you know, economic evidence is bringing a knife to a gunfight. So this is one aspect right? of the book, which it's, is, I mean, the book is all yeah. about that. Well, this is the, this is, this is the central yeah, aspect yeah. of the book. I, but just it, which wanna, is, I just want to get, get yeah. to you, get, get, get to it, which is that if you look at, at all of the objections that people have made to any kind of positive social change, they always take this form. They always take the same form, mm. which is pro-social arguments disguising anti-social ends. So I, I, I was like, when I finally figured this out, I was like blown away. And I, I'm very fortunate to have a friend who's a brilliant neuroscientist and, uh, and um, researcher into this stuff, a woman named Molly Crockett, who I believe is, is now at Princeton. And I, I laid this out for her and she said, look, this is very, very simple. The most important element of human moral reasoning is intention. Intention in, re in moral reasoning is everything. That is to say, like, for example, if you deliberately murder somebody, you will be in very big trouble and probably end up in jail for the rest of your life. But if you're driving down the road and somebody jumps off an overpass and, and, they, and your car hits them, uh, the, the two people will be equally dead the, but the moral censure you will face in the latter case will be much different than in the former case, mm. right? Um, and that is the source of all this corporate bullshit, is that every single one of these claims, and we have six categories, all are effectively the same thing, which is we we would do this good thing, except that would be bad for you. Yeah, yeah. Or the world, which is we're back to, which is, which is, is back right? to, which like, gets back to my first question: Do they believe yeah. it? Are these are the people who are saying this? Do they believe it, or are they just yes. trying to pull the wool well, over our I eyes? I mean, it, 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 yeah. I, I mean, of course, it's on a spectrum. Uh, do the people who work for for fossil fuel companies really believe still that climate change is a fiction of our imagination? That it is. Um, a, 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 a conspiracy of lefty uh, uh, physicists and chemist, chemists. I, I, I suspect that some of them still do. The thing about people is they do not believe what is true or facts tell them. They believe largely what makes them feel good, mm. right? That's, that's, that's humanity. Um, and of course, it, it works both ways as well, of course. So, because, I mean, this, you know, Pfizer have been there trying to argue th that you should, uh, you know, you need this, you need to take the vaccine because it's you, you're not going to get COVID or you're not going to get it as badly. And there's a load of conspiracy theorists saying that is corporate bullshit, you know, so Correct. who wins in Correct. this? Correct. And of course, uh, there are, at the margin, legitimate disagreements over science and mm. effectiveness and risk and reward risk and return right you know there in life as as you well know has been around uh, it is often the case that that hard questions are not clear um how many how many boosters do you need i don't know it depends on your risk profile I, 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 um who do you trust but but in, in any case and once you realize that your opponents are not saying what they are saying because it's true, they are saying it because it's effective, it enables you to take a different approach to to um, to to um, uh, battling, uh -huh. 
Uh, yeah, to, it, right. And so um, w once we realized that our opponents were, you know, the Chamber of Commerce is never going to wake up and look at the data and say, oh, my God, it, it turns out that the more money we pay people, the better it is for the economy. They were never going to say that. Mm. Yeah. That, because the Chamber of Commerce does not represent the interests of the economy. The Chamber of Commerce represents the interests of the owners of corporations and the executives who run them. Mm. Of course. And the more profit and the more profit those companies make and the bigger the executive bonuses, the happier that group of people is. Yeah. I mean it is it, it's it's just about it's just protecting self interest, isn't it? The problem is that they yes, they, they are very good at it. And even though we know that uh, when when we see corporate messaging, we know that companies are looking after their own self interest. Sometimes they're very good at it, as you say, by de by deflecting the the topic of conversation so it becomes a wider social of, issue. Of course. Yeah. And that and, and understanding that is insanely empowering. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It it allows you to uh, understand in a much more profound way what what you're battling, right? Now, right? now Nick, I and have spent so I have spent 15 minutes trying to insert an ad break into this podcast. You just keep on going. <laughs> so I'm going to do it. I insist now because we've got to pay for this somehow. So we'll take a quick break. We'll okay. be back to you in just a second. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So Nick Hanna is our special guest on the Debunking Economics Podcast uh, this week. Uh, Steve is here as well. Steve, we've got to get Steve in more in this second half because he's had, hardly had a, uh, a word in edgeways. But Nick, in your book, you mentioned those six lies, and we've talked about quite a few of them so far, that it, it's, it's not a problem. The free market is going to fix it. It's not our fault. It's your fault. I want to uh, look at that a bit more. It's a job killer. Yeah. We've, we've certainly spoken about. Uh, and yeah. trying to fix things will only make it worse. I like to talk about that. And, and obviously, right. the uh, when all else fails, if none of those arguments work, then you're just a bleeding socialist. Uh, that's the, that's yeah. the, the final argument. Uh, so, uh, But this whole thing about it's not our fault, it's your fault. So... And I see this in the uh, in in the particularly in Australia in the in the housing industry and, and banking. The reason why people, you know, there's this housing crisis uh, where people can't afford to pay their mortgages because those people took out. And Steve maybe wants to comment on this first of all. Uh, they took out this massive loan that they can't afford, and they, of course the reason they did that is because they want a house, and that's how much houses cost. And why is that happening, Steve? 
because there's too much credit, money pushing up house prices, and the banks are benefiting from it. And they want you in the door because it's their short-term profits, and the higher amount of loans they can issue, the more money they make. So you know, you're, you're just cannon fodder uh, for that particular battle. And that's, again, the way that, uh, as you say, the self-interest of the major corporations and the wealthy individuals and people like Buchanan, who is a real piece of work, um, they they use what I criticise, but they're only using it. They still be doing it, even if they realise that the underlying arguments are false. So you yes. said it's empowering. What's how does how has it empowered you, and what are you doing because of it? So so once you realise that your opponents that you're not in a contest over truth, you're in a contest over power and money. It, it, your strategy changes a lot. <laughs> okay and. Uh, because if if your only tool is refutation, your your degrees of freedom as an activist are very very narrow. But once you realize that you're in a contest over power and money, then uh, then uh, you you recognize that you know, look refutation is important. The facts are do do do, do matter. Um, but once you realize that the facts are on your side. Uh, uh, it allows you to attack um, the intention of your opponents, and 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 the and the whole point of this book, which is a basically a compendium of the different lies that corporate actors and their agents have been telling the public uh, for 150 or 200 years, uh, is that once you see these lies in context, it it. Once you see the aggregation of them, you realize what they've been doing to you. And it, it, it effectively it inoculates you. It's like a vaccine for your mind. It inoculates you against the future lies. So you don't get bamboozled the next time. Because the thing about these lies is they are always plausible when you first hear them. When they're when they're new, right? There's a new thing that happens. Like social media takes happens. And you have this suspicion that it may be terrible for your children. And what what, what does Facebook say? Uh, it's your fault, or it, it you know the, the 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 usual bullshit. And if you re recognize that that the lie is the same form of the lie that the climate that the cl uh, cl climate change deniers are using, or cripes, it's the same form of the lie that. We, we the powerful people used to prevent women from getting the vote because it wasn't wasn't it, they they literally said that it would be it would harm women. Mm. Well, right? tell you there is, there is an example is in Australia as well over the uh, the last week or so where they had uh, a vote on uh, on the voice which was giving uh, Aboriginal people the right. right to be part of a consultative council, no power whatsoever, a consultative council, uh, and that lost sixty to forty. Yeah, because of the arguments, the distracting arguments about whereas it's, it started seventy to thirty in the opposite direction, yeah. and just a cascade of lies like that. Nick is talking about here slowly turned public opinion until such time as this was seen as being effectively a land grab. You know, yeah. it had nothing to do with land, nothing to do with being getting a seat, and even in parliament, it was simply saying, "Here's an advisory bottle. We can't, we can't simply abolish by an act of parliament." Yeah. So, Nick, abolished. isn't that? I mean, yeah. so doesn't that point to the fact that even though your intent is great and it's a, the, the books are you know an enjoyable read. And there's some, you know, there's some horrific pieces of history that you refer to with some classic quotes. Isn't that, isn't that, 
Isn't it a bit of a lost cause in that the people you're fighting against, the corporations in this case, but it can just as well be a social movement, but in, in the case of corporations, have got lots of money and they can uh, employ the Trump tactic, which is just keep on throwing shit at the fan. And if it doesn't stick, then just throw the next bit. It doesn't matter if it's a lie or half truth. You just keep on doing it and people get so confused. Some people are carried along and they do the work for you. I mean, it's it's it's. I just wonder whether the battle will ever be won. Well, I think you make a very good point. The battle will never be won. Uh, 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 The war will never be won, but battles can be won, right? So the rich and powerful will never stop trying to build strategies, tactics, narratives, institutions, whatever it is, to defend their power and privilege. That, 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 that is as old as human civilization, right? What, what is economics other than a way of rationalizing uh, our, our, our social and moral preferences for status, privileges, and power? How, how, what is it other than helping people understand who gets what and why, right? I mean, this goes- I misunderstand. Back- yes. Helping people misunderstand. Yes. This goes back to the code of Hammurabi. Right. Like humans have been doing this for jillions of years. It will never change. What we can do is try to balance it out a little better. Right. And look, you you know, the world will never be a perfect place, but it can be a better place. And it is certainly true that is screwed up as um, uh, the countries of the world are today. Uh, they are less screwed up. They are less awful places for the for the majority of citizens to live than than they were a hundred years ago or something like that. Uh, I, y'all, I mean, I know that y'all, um, everybody sees the worst in wherever they are, and y'all have deep criticisms of Australia. But I don't think that I'm going out on too big a limb by saying that Australia is probably one of the best places on planet earth for humans to live in the history of the world right like it's a relatively fantastic place to live for the majority of citizens who live there and as imperfect as it is uh because australians have done a pretty good job of governing themselves and uh, can it be improved yes dramatically but um over the course of history we have been arc of history towards justice somewhat. And uh, if we, you, me, you know, other people continue to be engaged in this, I continue to be optimistic that we can make progress as as people have around the world. So every I, I guess I'm, you know, I'm I'm always an optimist. Um, and I, I just believe that you can you can make good progress if good people try hard. And so this book is a small contribution to that effort. Uh, and, it, and, you know, we're just trying to let people know that when they hear these things, they shouldn't believe them. 
And that's very similar to what I did, Nick, from a different point of view in writing debunking economics, because I was used to people, and I worked as an activist before I became an academic uh, and an entrepreneur, not as successful as you, unfortunately. But yeah. anyway, um, and I saw all the time people who were putting forward progressive social policy ideas were being snowed by economists. So I thought, I've got to show them why they shouldn't take that seriously. Right. And the idea was to empower people who became activists after me so that they knew they were being bullshitted and they could fight back. Right. It just this is just another flavor, Steve, of what you do, right? Yeah, it that's just, very much so. Yeah, yeah it's just it's slightly broader, right? It just and yeah, trying to much more readable little, than me. Yeah, exactly. No, no, no. We're we're trying to simplify it and let people understand that these strategies are used on them basically everywhere in their life, yeah. and that they should yeah. not be bamboozled by it. That they they should yeah. they should. Pay attention and not get bullied by this crap. Uh, Which, of course, they do get bullied, and that's yeah. and that's uh, they, and it's the know, scale. Like it's the scale of that bullying, isn't it? So if if you yeah. if you've got two people sitting in a pub discussing something, uh, then you can have a, a sensible argument using facts, for example. Well, it depends how many beers you had as to yeah. how valid those facts are, but at least you know you're on level pegging. If the if the other guy who's very rich all of a sudden just hang on a second, I'm just going to bring in a uh, twenty quasi scientists to uh, to argue the case, and then I'm going to spread it on social media and get a whole load of people right. agreeing with me uh, and uh, and then you and then we're going to throw in an algorithm uh, because it looks like I'm getting some uh, some traction here uh, so your argument just gets obliterated even though it might be the truth gets obliterated by just the sheer scale funded by money and then by social media which is just making things worse that's why that's, if I come across uh, as a little less optimistic Nate, it's because I'm just seeing all of that happening that you yeah you, you to the point where you see you call something out on social media I've just about given up on doing that because the abuse you take from so many people you've never known, it's just, uh, you know, Steve, you must get a lot of this as well. Uh, It's just enormous. It is. It is. Because a lot of people buy that bullshit and a lot of people feel connected to it. Um, But, but, you know, guys, here's the thing is that there is progress being made in places. I mean, you know, like the, the miracle of the last two and a half or three years of the Biden administration is a good demonstration of that. Like, the, 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 it, I mean, of course, there's a thousand more things that the Biden administration could have accomplished uh, if we had had slightly better senators. Um, uh, but, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is the single largest investment in climate, uh, in climate, um, uh, in the energy transformation in the history of the world, is, you know, a big move forward. The... Um, the uh, 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 anti-monopoly executive order that is making its way through uh, the federal government of the United States is it is it is an absolutely astonishing achievement, uh, uh, and and directly addresses uh, all of the things that uh, Steve you talk about every day. Um, uh, you know, like so, pro- you know, from here, here and there, from time to time, big progress does get made. Uh, it, it just, you know, it just takes fighting. And, you know, the, the, yeah. the, good, the, the bad news, of course, is it, is it concentrated power uh, does have a lot of money and power. The, the good news is, is that for every one of them, there are 99 uh, ordinary citizens who are on the other side of that trade. And if you can if you can activate just a few more, you actually can uh-huh. get uh, great stuff done.
So I wonder, I mean, we've, seen, we've, we've, seen, we've seen a dramatic reduction in the countervailing power of working people over the last 40 or 50 years. And that's fundamentally come out of the, again, economic theory has helped in the battle absolutely. to say we, we should have a free market. We shouldn't have trade unions. Yeah. Terribly sorry we forgot about getting rid of the uh, employer associations, but we'll do that later. Yeah. yeah. Right. You know, and, and so what you get, and I've, I've lived right through it. I was an activist, as I mentioned, and I worked with trade unions for quite some time, and I just saw the intimidation. And what it meant, of course, it meant from saying, at least when you have you know, 10,000 workers in a union facing the boss, then the bloke who's got 10,000 or the woman who's got 10,000 uh, people's backing can stand relatively one-to-one with the billionaire that they're fighting. Yeah. But if you've got 10,000 signing up, you haven't got hope in hell. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's what America turned itself into far more so than any other country on the planet, which that's is right. why America's one of the worst places to be. That's it right. seems, no. seems very often, I mean, companies are pushing the whole argument that what we're arguing for is in your own self-interest, yeah. isn't it? And that's why they win over because people don't look at the bigger picture. They just look at what what's in it for them. So I'll give you an example locally here. Uh, so Wales and uh, in, in cities, and actually quite a few cities around the UK, but um, uh, totally in, in all the towns and built-up areas in Wales, they've introduced a default 20-mile-an-hour speed limit. And the reason for that is because if you hit someone at 20 miles an hour, there's a chance they'll survive. At 30 miles an hour, which is what the speed limit was, they will almost certainly die. So it saves lives. But, you know, the counter-argument to that is, well, everyone's going slower, so the road's going to be more congested, so we all lose productivity with the time spent in our cars because when I get home at the end of the day, I'm so productive uh, in front of the TV. Uh, And electricians and the like will have to push up their prices because uh, they've got slower journey time. So all of that, all of those benefits outweigh human life apparently so that's been sold as you know the benefit to you is that you want to get to where you're going uh, faster in which case you may as well take the 30 mile an hour speed limit and increase it to 50 mightn't you yeah well i mean you know life is trade-offs you you, 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 you know <laughs> well that's you could, that's, you could... that's actually that's actually the most dangerous point nick that i want to alert you to i don't know if you've, you've seen yeah. my work on this area yet but one of the factors as you said it's all corporate bullshit but the corporate bullshit has been produced by economists and the greatest bullshit they've done yeah. is about climate change. Yes. And this is why, why I think your original comment, this is how I first became aware of you, of course, when, you're, when the pitchforks are coming, they're going to be arriving very soon because the bullshit about, econ- about climate change by economists is of an order of magnitude that I have never, ever seen before. And I, just to give you the, just if you haven't read the, the reports I've written on this, Nordhaus literally yeah. assumed that 87% of American economy would be unaffected by climate change because it happens in what he called carefully controlled environments. And when you looked at what he included as carefully controlled environments, manufacturing, wait for it, even mining, okay, underground, um, all services, retail and wholesale, all of government, all of the finance sector. is going, And what they've got in common, they've got a roof over their heads. So he literally assumed climate change was weather. And that's why he said that a six degree increase in temperature, and this is in a 2018 refereed paper and an American Economic Review Journal, six degrees of warming would cause an 8.9% fall in GDP. Now, scientists know that six degrees of warming will cause the extinction of most mammals on the planet. And we are now com- coming up to very point, the, the sharp point, where like, even one and a half degrees climate scientists see as dangerous. We're already there by the looks of things. We may hit two degrees next. Uh, so the, the, we're going to be destroying yeah. the productive capability of the planet, and that's where the real pitchforks are going to come from. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, seeing yeah, seeing climate change as a cost-benefit analysis problem is among <laughs> the stupider things in the world. Um, and 
you know, it's it, it, it's astonishing that you could think that way. Uh, yeah. But but it, it it is of course also true that you know if we eliminated cars altogether, um, you know, highway t- highway fatalities would fall to zero. But it would take a long time to get from here. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Although bikes, bikes turn out to be a very, very good way to get around. Um, but anyway, I mean, well, you, I, you I, realize that now you're in Europe, Nick. You realize yeah. that there, there are alternatives to massive cars on yeah, big, yeah, wide for freeways, sure. which, for sure. yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I do big, trip. I'm a big electric bike fan. Yeah, well, fantastic. Well, they're a bit easier, aren't they? Look, uh, there's, um, uh, it's a great book. It's an easy read. Uh, and it is, it's like a Bible for us to be able to dip into and be reminded of the ways yeah. that we are being fed this corporate bullshit so yep. that hopefully you're aware of it. And I know that's the idea. But of course, Nick, you're bound to say that because you're just a raving socialist. A very wealthy one, obviously, <laughs> but still a raving socialist. No, been- I'm not a... I'm I'm not a socialist. I I, I, I do. So I I am not a capitalist anymore. Mm. Um, uh, um, I'm 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 my my co-author Eric Beinacher and I uh, have coined this term market humanism uh, because Mm. I I do believe that um, markets are a great social technology if they're well managed. Yeah. uh, For generating uh, prosperity in human societies, but uh, but. Um, unfettered capitalism is an abomination, and um, and as as you guys well know, and and that's a thing to be fought against. Yeah, I mean, I, and yeah. we, we've got to have you on again, Nick, because we could talk for hours. Obviously, and we've run out of time now. I grew up in the UK in the in the seventies, and we talked about a mixed economy. You know, that was what that's what yeah. it was, and that uh, mixed economy has translated into socialism i think but that's where we i think that's where we all agree that's where we need to be isn't it it's been yeah. great having you on uh we'll get you on again steve can talk more next time uh maybe thank i'll take the day off it's been great yeah and thank get everyone you so get the book yeah thank you so much and yeah and you know. cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com so to your listeners uh this is a fun book to read it's not yeah. a big slog it's uh it, we have pictures <laughs> it, <laughs> cartoons galore cartoons galore it's just and it is it, incredibly entertaining and if it wasn't so sad it would be hilarious it, it really is and i think that read. and that's a very good point to finish on it is directed at a very popular audience yeah. it's an easy easy read yeah. and though, if you think because he's talking to me it's going to be heavy duty stuff so, ah, <laughs> okay yeah, i usually... do the heavy duty nick nick is doing <laughs> found it on the same understanding as you realize from what i was saying the complex yeah. systems you've you've got that as part of your background evolutionary all that sort of stuff but it's written at a level which is a it's a fun read and and it what it paints i'm saying is don't be bullshitted by the corporates fight them yeah yeah and some shocking facts in there as well like child labor not banned until 1938 yeah, um, I'm going to make sure my kids don't read that bit because, yeah, exactly. uh, as far as they're concerned, it still exists. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, good to talk, Nick. Uh, we'll get you on again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much, guys. The Debunking Economics Podcast. 
If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.